Hi there listeners welcome to episode 34 of Never on the Backfoot podcast this episode is a review and analysis episode of the Indian women's team versus the South African women's team T20 series we got to see two quality sides in some high octane matches that went to the wire and although South Africa salvaged the series 2-1 and this certainly made for a very interesting series start our discussion with the summary of the matches that happened in the first t20 international after being outplayed in the odi series 4-1 the hosts were yet again outplayed in the first t20i going down by 8 wickets sunil lucy's team went past india's modest score of 130 for 6 with ease the chase was led by anna bosch with a fine 66 not out in 48 balls now her second wicket partnership with lucy dashed the hopes of our side Earlier, Bosch had a good time in the field too as she took a fine catch picking up two important wickets that of Harleen Diol and Jemima Rodriguez. These were the top scorers in the Indian innings. The early loss of Smriti's wicket meant that India was already starting on the wrong foot. The left-handers up a shot over mid off over Ismail was taken well by Bosch. Harleen was promoted up the order and she joined Shefali Verma. who scored 23 in 22 balls and added 45 for the second wicket although hardlin went on to score her maiden international 50 her effort was overshadowed by this south african all-round show to focus on the second t20 international india lost the toss and were put to bat by the hosts putting up a decent 159 on the board driven by some classy knocks of Shefali Verma and Richa Ghosh who scored 47 and a quick fire 44 of 26 respectively ensured we had a decent total on the board it was not just a challenging target that was set by india that the south african women were chasing on sunday they were also chasing history and they did it in style of the last ball they won the second t20 by six wickets to claim their first ever series win against india in this format While poor fielding and catching made things easier for them, chasing 159 was indeed a creditable effort. Lizelle Lee, who scored 70, and Laura Woolworth, who scored 53, were the primary architects of this magnificent chase. When the hard-hitting Lee, who was dropped twice, was dismissed by the left-arm spinner Radha Yadav in the 16th over, India looked like they were clawing their way back to the game. But Woolworth showed nerves of steel to take her side home. Nine was needed of the twentieth over and one of the final delivery. The twenty-one-year-old scampered home for a single to trigger celebrations in the South African dugout. The third T20 international career best bowling figures from Rajeshwari Gaikwad and a hurricane thirty-ball sixty from Shefali Verma with her ninety-six run partnership with Smriti Mandhana right at the top of the order headlined what was a comprehensive nine-wicket win for India against South Africa. opting to field first after the second toss win of the series in eight matches india opening bowlers arundhati reddy and gaikwad managed to keep the south africans quiet in the power play just giving 15 runs in the first six overs but the constant fall of wickets meant that after their skipper was dismissed for 28 of 25 south africa was just going to struggle to get past the 100 mark but an enterprising partnership between jafta and lara goodall took south africa over the three figure mark 
Scoring a paltry 112 for 7 in 20 overs, India wrapped up the chase in style with Shefali Verma hammering experienced bowler Shabnam Ismail for 18 runs in the first over as India raced to 64 at the end of 5 overs. The 17-year-old was finally dismissed for 60 of 30 but the damage was already done with the opening pair putting on 96 from just 51 balls. Harleen Deol scored a boundary in her first ball before Smriti Mandana finished the match in style with three consecutive boundaries in the 11th over with a lot of overs still to spare. Although the scoreline made for a sad reading of 2-1 in favour of South Africa, we still had a lot of pointers to take from the series. Let's start off with Shefali Verma's form. She was in brilliant nick throughout the series. Her confident stroke play, attacking approach and smart batting was rewarded as she was the highest run getter for India and broke many records on the way too. She effortlessly hit the South African bowlers all over the park and looked very dominant in her style of batting. She scored her third ODI 50 of just 26 balls and it was her joint fastest 50 and India's third joint fastest 50 in the format and she reclaimed her numero uno spot in the rankings quite deservingly. She definitely makes the cut to be considered for ODIs and her 60 run knocks in the final T20 literally had just two runs coming of singles. So we can see what a destructive batter she is and what she brings to the table. We've also seen how in the past she has smashed 124 of 78 balls in a 50-over game against the likes of some very quality Aussie paces during India Ace Tour to Australia in December 2019 before taking the T20 World Cup by storm with her batting and ever since her debut against South Africa at home in 2019, she has been slotted as a T20 attacking batsman but is yet to make her ODI debut. The powerful right-hander strikes at 143.79 in her List A career so far and has no other peers in domestic cricket who match up to that. Also, during the 2018-19 Under-23 One-Day League, Shefali Verma scored 5.43 runs from 8 matches at an average of 67.88 and a strike rate of 198.17. Now, this includes... 300s and 250s before she catapulted herself to fame during the Women's T20 Challenge 2019 and her other subsequent T20 outings. Harleen Diol is a formidable number 3 for India in T20s. Now, we saw in the first T20 International how she scored her maiden international T20 50, getting that crucial 52 and stitched a partnership with the batters coming on and in the second T20i too, she looked good. With her batting well at 3, it augurs well for the team as it gives solidity, she can anchor well and in case we lose our openers early on, she can partner Jemima Rodriguez well and get India across the line. My next point is going to be about how Jemima Rodriguez is actually middling it well. Another positive has to be Jemima Rodriguez getting that well-made 30 in the first T20 International where she played the role of the anchor and in the second T20 International too, she was there for some time partnering Harleen Deol really well, but an ambitious shot ensured she did not last the test of time. But her coming back to form has been very important for this side and her partnership with Harleen Deol has been extremely impressive. To focus on the prodigy Richa Ghosh, she has shown the world how destructive she can be lower down the order as in that second T20 international she got a 44 of just 26 balls. She has looked so good in the lower middle order where India has often found wanting for so much more but she's certainly been very impressive. I'd now like to talk about the ideal playing 11 for India in T20s coming ahead. 
Shefali Var Minds Mnati Mandana to open Harleen Diol Jemima Rodrigues Harman Preet Kaur that is when she returns from injury Richa Ghosh to form the solid middle order Nuzhat Parveen as our wicket keeper Radha Yadav Shikha Pandey again when she selected for the next series Arundhati Reddy slash Mansi Joshi slash Simran Bahadur these are the options that keep for my pace bowling uh, options Rajeshwari Gaikwad slash Poonam Yadav as my spin bowling alternatives to form the solid bowling core Let's now focus on Rajeshwari Gaikwad and Radha Yadav Rajeshwari Gaikwad had an impressive spell in the final T20 international dismissing both the openers and looked so good in the ODI series and in the first two T20s as well Anna Bosch tried to play her across the wicket and was bowled with the ball pitching around the middle and the leg and then eventually turning away. She also casted Lizel Lee with a quicker one that went straight to the to send the inform batter back to the pavilion for just 12. She finished the power play with figures uh, with two wickets and also having bowled a maiden over giving away just two runs. Now this proves she's a very valuable asset and can actually restrict runs. Radha Yadav on the other hand has been very impressive too she's a very good fielder and she's known for her tremendous performance as she's also has the most consecutive innings with one or more wickets and this is 26 consecutive outings we can see what she brings to the table let's now talk about smriti mandana her captaincy and her breezy form We've seen Smriti Mandana has been in the side for so long she's one of the senior players and in the absence of Harman Preet Kaur who is recuperating from the injury Mandana did a very good job leading the team she communicates well with the batters she's right at the top of the order there and has a good rapport with the fielders and the bowlers that makes her a very good captain in the few in the years coming ahead and but she has blown hot and cold looking good at times also looking listless you know edging those wide deliveries especially of shabnam ismail and we got to see how you know her rhythm was back and the natural attacking game was back for the final t20 international and hopefully we get to see more of that i'd now like to give a detailed analysis of south africa and their dominance in the absence of some of their most prominent mainstays they wrapped up this tour of india with a 4-1 win in the odi series and a 2-1 win in the t20 leg now the women's team has benefited mostly from the consistency the coaching the playing personnel and funding which has allowed them to flourish while other parts of the game in the country flounder to quickly focus on what actually worked well for them let's start off with mental strength The South African teams are not known for their ability to deal with pressure often given the tag of chokers but this team has shown that they can actually hold their nerve in crunch situations they kept up with the DLS required run rate in the third ODI to claim the victory and won both the fourth and the fifth with less than 2 overs remaining they even took the second T20I to the final ball so this shows the mental resilience and the never give up attitude I'd now like to talk about Lizelle Lee's dominance throughout the series and how important Dupre's return to form has been for South Africa. We've seen how South Africa is missing their senior players, but the players who were on this tour actually embodied the bold attitude to set the tone for the series. Lizelle Lee has been the top scorer in the ODI series with 288 runs this includes her career best 132 and 250s at a staggering average of 144 and she's also the third highest run getters in T20 international where she also scored 150 
she rose up to the top of the ODI rankings before being eventually overtaken by Tammy Beaumont and her opening partnership with Laura Woolworth is among the most formidable in world cricket. It almost feels like South Africa was over-reliant on this pair because there were matches when they lost early wickets and uh, the batters coming in had some problems but their form has been very impressive. Next, I'd like to talk about the approach against spin. Now, after being bamboozled by the turning ball on their last tour to India, this was in 2019, South Africa embarked on an intense program to actually get better at an excel, and it has certainly reaped benefits for them. They subjected Indian spinners to their probable, probably the worst home ODI series, where they've at least bowled 100 overs, and the South African batters conveniently swe- uh, like used sweep and reverse sweep to the good, and occasionally daring effect. Another major positive that has worked for South Africa so well has been their leaders. These are the emerging leaders and the established leaders. Now, South Africa has played this year without their regular captain, Dane Van Neerkirk, and the senior all-rounder, Chloe Tryon, who are both recovering from their lower back injuries. Now, this gave Sune Luce the opportunity to step in as a leader, although she missed some matches because of illness. But this also allowed someone like a young Laura Woolworth, who's just 21, to step in. And just like that, South Africa might have actually created a succession plan. Next up is the unbelievable Shabnam Ismail and her unparalleled consistency. Now, with the batting in the spotlight for the better part, South African attack has actually flown under the radar, but we just simply can't ignore how much they have contributed. Shabnam Ismail was their leading wicket-taker in both the formats uh, on this India tour and once again impressed with her aggression and accuracy and also in the mentoring role she appeared to play on field, especially in the absence of the experienced and very talented Marizan Cap in the T20 series. Another major benefit has been their good economic bowling. Now, South Africa will be pleased with the efforts of Ayabonga Khaka. She has been the most economical bowler on the tour for them and has helped keep a star-studded Indian lineup in control. She just conceded 3.44 runs and over in the ODIs, that was like the lowest in the series, and 5.62 in the T20 internationals where only Rajeshwari Gaikwad was more miserly than her. Seku Khen also provided good support in the ODIs with 5 wickets at 28.4 and an economy rate of 5.35. So their bowling has also been good. My other major point of this episode, and probably this is going to be long as the analysis makes sense, is the need for the women's IPL and the Twitter storm that happened about some people criticizing the team and the Bodhya Majumdar controversy. Now, when we look at the IPL, this is considered as a product that gives billions of revenue. Now, the BCC is scared that, you know, if the women's IPL doesn't quite live up to the expectations or may not even generate the required revenue, it may diminish the value of the product of IPL itself. Now, there lies the biggest problem. Comparing the unborn, fully, full-fledged women's IPL to the established IPL is what is causing the problem. Now, why is there so much talk about quality, performance and depths in talent? Let's talk about it. Borya Majumdar, in an angry rant, spoke about how the women's side has lacked depth, 
and this would be a major barrier you know to have a full fledged ipl the lack of talent and even the series loss to south africa can be attributed to the fact that we might not see a new team getting added to the women's t20 challenge although the bci has not confirmed this we'll still have to see what's the validity of his statement he also received a lot of flack for the same with many calling him out for his insensible remark and how the women's ipl is actually the need of the r besides the game time and matches that our team sorely deserves india is the third ranked t20 side and we're just below australia and england cricket australia and ecb has been investing so much in their women's cricket that's why they dominate world cricket australia has wbbl and england starting the 100 has been so good they previously had the kia super league and it has worked wonders we saw how jemima rodrigues went there and scored the fastest 100 Th- these are leagues that have to be promoted they invested in their players and they dominate world cricket now food for thought just imagine what women's ipl would do for the women's cricket in our country see basically to start a tournament like women's ipl you don't need to have 10 20 domestic talents for each team all you need is like four overseas players four good indian players and two three uncapped indian players on relatively new indian players who can actually be a part of the playing 11 now there are at least 50 plus talented domestic players from india who can make the cut for starters bcci can start with forming a five team women's ipl with eight international and 12 indian players per side now this with a total pool of 50 plus international players and 60 indian players available this is highly possible and even a six team tournament can happen at the moment even if they start small they can increase the overseas quota from 4 to 5 to accommodate more overseas players but have the league we need our talent rubbing shoulders with big players and it's going to work wonders trust me With five team tournaments BCCI can eventually increase the tournament strength to 23 matches. What does this mean? We'll have 20 league matches, two semi-finals and the final. This would allow each team minimum of 10 matches to test their bench strength. We get to see more domestic players and it is it would actually help so much. The more they play, the more they will get to get used to executing those skills under pressure. because it's a five team tournament and only one team will not feature in the semis there won't be any shortage of action bcci can though in fact start this after the men's ipl finals as well so this can extend the ipl celebration for 2 to 3 weeks more increase the revenue revenue and actually make a difference Shefali Verma is the world number one batsman. She returned to the number one spot in the T20 uh, rankings after her very good performance in the series. We need to understand that she is just 17 and 3 weeks of playing alongside legends of the game like Alisa Healy or even Ellie Sperry it would do wonders to her confidence. How much a young domestic player can learn in those 3 weeks is unparalleled. Women's cricket needs women's IPL and world cricket needs to stand up and take notice of this league being the most important and we can churn out talent this would definitely take the women's game to the next level if bcci starts investing more in women's cricket by proper scheduling of matches without the clashes with the men's matches and actually improve the quality of the broadcast coverage more people around the world would be interested to follow women's cricket 
women's cricket is definitely not deprived of talent the core issue lies in the fact that it is just not marketed properly it's high time for bcci to take women to take the women's game to the next level with enough marketing and strategies let's focus on the reactions after the loss in the series the last time india lost a five match odi series by a margin of 1 4 or more was in 2008 against australia Since then we've just played five bi- bilateral series with as many matches in each and we've won three of those. This is why when India lost the ODI series 1-4 and the T20I series 1-2, we had to face a lot of strong criticism. Again, I'd like to e- reiterate how important game time is and the senior players should have played at least a minimum of 20 matches cumulatively. Now this includes domestic and international fixtures before the South Africa tour. But playing club cricket and other inconsequential series will definitely not help, but they had to do that to keep them match fit and have some practice. We've often heard cricketers, you know, both men and women talk about the difference between match practice and training in the nets. It has been reiterated by many players that the former is far more difficult and different from the latter. I mean logically it makes sense too, right? There are just the small things that organizing bodies need to do. The training camps having some game time that can actually make so much difference in any sport. Here we're talking about cricket. Coming back from long breaks and injuries are always going to be hard and battling this pandemic is definitely one of the hardest things. But any player would need game time before getting into the groove. I feel it's extremely unfair to criticize our players as just giving them more games, opportunities and the women's IPL. Trust me, everything will fall in place and the glory days await us and probably even silverware. The last and final point I'd like to emphasize on are the areas to work on. With the top two sides, Australia and England, constructing sides that are suitable to rapidly play in any conditions and for the modern game, in the limited over formats, they have an array of pace bowling options to choose from, spinners who can bowl at any stages of the game, and field an attacking batting lineup because they have the kind of reserves. Even their A sides are so good. India needs to embrace the modern game else we will just not last the test of time and it'll be long before uh, our strategy of you know building a side with safe batters and a spin dominant bowling lineup becomes obsolete with this we come to an end with this episode i'd thank you all for ardently supporting the blog and the podcast It gives me the zeal to keep working and delivering quality content to you all. A heartfelt thank you. Do check out at the rate never on the back foot on Instagram for the latest facts, trivia, quizzes, terminology and a lot more. The podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Overcast and a lot of other platforms. So please do spread the word. Thank you so much if you made it through this far and it shows that you actually have a genuine concern and interest for women's cricket. Do feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions for the already published episodes and recommendations for future topics. Do share this widely and your support is really appreciated. See you next time listeners and hopefully we can get to see our women in blue play those tours versus New Zealand and England and even Australia as planned and with the speculations running right that might actually happen. Cheers, stay safe and take care listeners. Bye for now.